Hi, my name is Visha Cadell, and I'm bringing you Behind the Face of Success, a podcast that delves into the untold stories of people that have reached great heights in their careers and the decisions, whether good or bad, they took to get there. Now they are photographers and, well, they are photographers. And my next guest in this episode is not just any photographer. He's also a publisher, a film director and founder of his own creative agency. I had the pleasure to be a subject of one of his films for a series in 2022 called Through the Lens. So when I met him, I was not only blown away by what a great director he is, but also what an incredibly nice and humble man he is. My guest today is Rankin. But let me tell you a little bit more about him so you know exactly why I think he's so brilliant. Rankin wears many hats. As a photographer, he's photographed the Rolling Stones, David Bowie, Kate Moss, Kendall Jenner and the Queen, to name a few. His photography has been exhibited in galleries globally, including the V&A in London and MoMA in New York. As a publisher, he's co-founded Dazed and Confused with Jefferson Hack in 1991 and An Other Man, 40 books and a fashion and culture title called Hunger. And as a founder of his own creative agency, he's also worked with some of the biggest brands, including Unilever, L'Oreal and Samsonite. And I'm so thrilled to have him here with me today. So hi, Rankin. It's so lovely to see you today. And thank you for joining me. I know you've been traveling and shooting loads. So I'm so glad to see you today. I'm really glad to be here. Lovely to see you. So I wanted to just get into the conversation about you specifically. For the purpose of our listeners today, I'd love to know a little bit more about you, like how you grew up and your childhood. Cool. From my childhood, I was uh, born to a Scottish family. So I actually was born in Glasgow. And one of the funny things about being Scottish is there's a saying in Scotland that you have something called thrawn, which is kind of a bit of a healthy, it's kind of like a spindly, healthy disrespect for authority. And I think my parents really encouraged that in me from quite early age. So I started off very young asking the question, why a lot? So, you know, I was never discouraged to ever ask these very kind of basic questions of what's that about? Why is that like this? And I think that combination meant that although I was from quite a working class family, it meant that whenever I was, we moved to Yorkshire when I was nine and a half, then we moved to St Albans when I was 13, 13 and a half. And um, it meant that whenever I was put in any situation, I had this quite funny thing where I'm almost quite con- contrary to everything. And I think that that really enabled me, even though I had no creativity in my in my background or in my family, it really enabled me to... When, when I did pick up a camera for the first time and start taking pictures, that confidence that my parents gave me to ask those questions meant that I did. I said, why, you know, why can't I be a photographer? It took me quite a long time to find photography. So I was at college doing accountancy and in Brighton Polytechnic. And um, I found photography through really the students that I was in Hall's residence with 
saying to me, why are you doing accountancy? And I think that I was just really lucky with that kind of upbringing. But also I was really lucky that I moved quite a few times. So I moved to Yorkshire and then I moved to basically sort of the home counties, North London. And then I moved to Brighton. So each time I moved, my brain was a little bit reset by the situation. And I was definitely like allowed to reinvent myself each different occasion. So when I moved from even from Yorkshire, where this very broad Yorkshire accent uh, to Hertfordshire, it was one of those moments where I was like, oh, wow, I'm. I can become somebody different again. And I think that that ability to be quite contrary and then be able to reinvent myself, it makes me not scared of change. It makes me not scared of a reset. It makes me very kind of inquisitive about what if I approached it in a different way because the, what is it, cognitive dissonance of, of learn, you know, being brought up in a certain way and learning a certain way Mine was to question, but then I didn't get into really those really awful sort of ruts that I think maybe some kids get into because I literally went from one perspective to another. And it's why I would always encourage parents to move their children from one school to another, because although it might make them, you know, have a peer group and be very tight, I don't know if if that's that healthy. It definitely was absolutely brilliant for me. And it also means that I can kind of, you know, even though I'm pretty shy, really, I'm pretty good at being able to meet new people and speak to them and definitely had a much more interesting life because of that. So, and also my dad was a very interesting, well, my parents were both interesting characters because they definitely weren't sectarian in Glasgow. Like they wanted to get out of Glasgow because they felt that it limited their view. And my dad was brilliant because he just was, he was this really, quite liberal guy in a very right-wing working class body he's very open-minded about certain things and he loved people and my dad loved people so a lot of like my love for human beings comes from him so I just got very lucky parents lucky upbringing and then really I've kind of been quite lucky every moment you know every thing that I've done even the first day I started college to do photography I walked in and I got a a magazine and said to the person giving it to me, like, who did this? And they said, we did, I did. So I got into magazines the first day I was at college doing photography. And again, it was a bit of a stroke of luck, really. Yeah. And you know, that's really interesting for me because it also speaks to where you've taken the evolution of your career, right? You've reinvented yourself so many different times and in really pretty meaty roles in each thing. It's not like you've had a little like a nuance. It's like a publisher, a founder of a creative agency. Reinvention is really important. And it's really interesting that you talked a lot about the environment that you grew up in because it allowed you to be like that. There are so many, and I, you know, I told you I went to go see some kids and every time I mentioned your environmental, your cultural background does like take you down a journey they would be nodding their heads yeah and I think I think I would have been quite limited if I hadn't been forced into those changes and and then and then you know I haven't reinvented myself as much as Madonna but but I don't <laughs> I don't have I don't have a fear of trying something new and doing it in public as well not 
you know, failure is, I think, the best form of creativity because if you've got, I mean, it's not, you can't not have a fear of failure because failure is obviously something you're scared of doing, but the risk to do it or the confidence to take the risk, it's scary, but it does allow me definitely to be more, not just creative, but more experimental and more confident in putting myself out there and trying something new. It also means it really affects my work because my approach to work has always been very much kind of, I don't want to be known for just doing one thing. I want to be multifaceted. And I think that's a much more nuanced approach to being a human being and a creative human. Yeah, I hear you. And, you know, to your point about, you know, fear of failure. Sometimes you would have a fear of failure, of course, because you're trying something so new, but you have to know some stuff, right? And you know some stuff. So how did you get into it? Like, did you have to learn to be a photographer? Did you have to learn to be a a publisher? And, you know, did you have to take specific courses to do that or yeah. just go for it? Once I'd found photography, I kind of dedicated myself to learning about the technical aspects of photography because back then it was much more it was much more complicated to be a photographer much more expensive and um i literally kind of bought the books and read them you know from cover to to back cover and almost taught myself most of the technical i mean you, you never stop learning in something like photography because it's one of those disciplines where there's always a new uh, technique or technical development that you've got to kind of embrace or understand. But I learned the basics very, very, very quickly. And I was very obsessive about it. And then I went to college to learn the kind of ethical aspects of photography, the art of photography, the morality around photography. And I think that's the difference between a photographer that, you know, possibly just done a course on how to be a portrait photographer. I've learned about the levels and layers within the art and genre of photography. And um, it means that my work has been always been quite analytical of process and, and, and identity and all of those things that, have really become quite relevant in the last sort of 10 years. They were things I was learning back in the the late 80s, early 90s. So that part of photography is very much like I don't take pictures. I mean, I occasionally will just take a picture, but most of my time I'm making pictures. So, and that's a very different approach. And I've got nothing against photographers that take pictures. In fact, I love photographers that take pictures and they've got a natural ability to do that because there is you can have that natural like in anything you can have that natural ability but my work is more complex in the amount of work that goes into constructing pictures even the way that I work in a studio which might feel very kind of fast and and quite kind of natural it's like I've taken, you know, years and years and years to learn that. So, and of course, you know, everybody can do a lot of that stuff now on a smartphone with a camera and um, with an app. 
how do you feel the difference between like taking a picture on a smartphone versus like the complexity of your craft, which is so very different? You know, do you need to basically learn to take a picture before you start to learn to make a picture? No, I mean, I think that's how I work, but I don't think that's how you have to work now. I mean, a lot of the the craft of photography is something that you can do very quickly on a smartphone now. And the apps are there for you specifically to kind of have have a kind of ease of process. Um, they're, they're there to to fast track it, you know, and make it very like in five seconds, you can do something it maybe took me five years to learn. But but I think because I've been through that learning curve, my understanding of it is has much more depth. And and again, you know, it's not to say that I don't I love young photographers that use that. They use the technology so they don't have to learn it in a way. But it doesn't mean that they can't make complicated pictures and and construct photographs because I think that there's so many elements to construction of photography. So you know, and I'm never I'm never surprised when a young photographer doesn't have that technical knowledge because I'm not sure if I was starting out now I would go and learn it. You know, I'd be like, why learn it when you can when you can just kind of borrow it from an app? But at the same time, having the knowledge is really beneficial to me because it means that I pretty much literally could go into any situation and know how to deconstruct and then reconstruct the problem technically that you're having so and that can be you know that's the thing it's so massive photography it's like it goes from how to take the lighting and shift it and change it to how to make the camera work to how to do slow shutter releases long exposure all that stuff that I would never be phased by that ever it would never panic me to Mm. for something not to work so I'll be able to work it out and I would hate to go into those situations where I didn't have that knowledge because I'm that type of person. So the construction of an image, technically, I love all of that. And I love the ability to work it out. And I would feel terrible if I couldn't. So, of course, you know, it's so uh, pervasive as a medium. And it's so easy to tap into and say you're a photographer now. Back in the day when I started, you couldn't say you were a photographer unless you knew how to do it technically. I personally enjoy that part of my abilities and it gives me a lot of confidence in being able to make something. But at the same time, I use apps and like I've been doing some slow exposure work at night and it was an app that got me into that. So I don't know. It's a bit of a free for all at the moment, but I don't have a this is the, you know, this, for me, it's not puritanical. It's not black and white. And also to your point, though, is the experience that you're bringing in because your evolution from photographer to film director, they're connected, aren't they? Because what you've learned in lighting and how the camera works, you're making things, you're making things yeah. that are now moving. I mean, I had to start somewhere and I started with photography and then the magazine stuff is very natural because I was doing it as a student union. And then directing is really interesting for me because directing and taking photographs are very, very different. And yes, the similarities are all there, but if anything, what I've learned as a director is to, and I I use it in photography, is to use people that are better than you at the different parts of it. So I would never be a director of photography on a movie or in a commercial because 
what I've learned is when you're really, really, really good at that, you're much better than me. Whereas if I was a photographer on a set, I would kind of feel like I'm one of the better versions of that in the situation. And it's made me realize that whether it's hair and makeup or production design or writing or trying to work with people that are really good at it makes my work better. And it's really, I mean, you know, so many comparisons you can have between directing and photography. But yes, if I hadn't had that starting point um, and also not having the fear, like I remember the first thing I directed, I was like kid in the sweet shop thinking that I'd reinvented the wheel and wasn't even very good. And again, I learned in public with music videos. And if anything, maybe it hindered me a little bit because if I'd been a bit more less blinkered about photography and more open-minded about cinematography then I would have trusted the cinematographer more but you know what like again I've been very very blessed to be able to to work with really good people that have taught me so much every shoot I've done I think I've learned something from loads of people on the crew so and I think that I trust crews more than I've ever trusted anybody else any other team because when you're on a crew making something especially on a film, you really have to rely on each other. And one person that lets the others down really can have a massive influence on the output of the piece. Whereas other things like magazines or being in a creative agency, the pressure is not quite the same. So one person can be weaker and you can sort of lift them up whereas in films that can absolutely ruin the whole thing again you learn how to cast your crew or how to cast your team and casting is such a massive part i don't mean who's in front of the camera i mean who's behind the camera what kind of vibe they're going to bring to set what are they positive people like i've got an ad called elaine mckenzie and i pretty much wouldn't work with anybody else apart from her because She's just the best vibe I could ever have. She's really short and she's really feisty, but she's so supportive and of the whole crew and assisting director, like your AD on a, a film shoot is the most important person you can have. And if you get one that's the opposite of that, more of a sergeant major or more aggressive, for me, that doesn't work. And again, this is the other thing, it's like, this is what's really important. I know why I like to do podcasts is because what works for me doesn't work for everybody. And I, I would never, ever say this list of things is the only way to do it. This is just what works for me. But what you're talking about is teamwork, right? It's the people around you that help make the things happen. Because I actually, when you were talking about that, I was actually remembering coming into your studio and I was watching your team coming together. And it was like, Everyone liked each other, first of all. It was like a slick operation. And I wouldn't go that far. They it, don't, it was they a don't, slick operation. They're, all, they're professional. They're definitely slick. I just don't know if they like each other. Like, you know, the thing, the thing <laughs> We're going to find out the truth. The thing is, I think on any crew, like, there's always, it's like any business, there's always going to be people that don't get on. But the thing about a crew, especially when you're shooting, is you've got to go over that very, very fast. And You've just got to be really professional. And that's the thing that young people that are coming into the business have to understand. One of the worst places to be emotional is on a set. You can't be emotional on a set. You've got to contain how you feel because it's 
it's all about the benefit of whatever the focus is that day, whether it's me interviewing you within that scenario or whether it's getting a, a performance out of an actor or a model. That's the focus. And also making them feel great about that. Like the worst thing you can do on any shoot is make the subject of the shoot feel uncomfortable. So we work very hard on that. But of course, you know, when we're not shooting and we're analyzing it all, we're kind of, you know, we're being quite critical because that's really important to be, to be able to get better and better and better. But yeah, no, the, the idea is you come in and you feel super confident and feel like we're very slick and that we're all got each other's backs because we have in that moment, we definitely have. You know, your point about not everyone can like each other. I think that's a really important point to make because you go into any workplace environment, you're not always going to love everybody you work with, but the end goal is the end goal and everyone's got to work together with it. Like, have you been in situations where you'll, let's say the subject, for example, subjects come in and you've got to photograph them. Do you have that moment where you're like, God, I don't like that person, but I've got to work with them. I've got to get the best out of them. Mm. How have you had to deal with it? No, it doesn't happen very often with subjects because for subjects of photography, a lot of the time, you know, they feel very much under the microscope in photography. So there's a tremendous amount of power a photographer has over a situation if they want to have it. So I've never really experienced people behaving badly. I mean, I've had a few, but one of my favorites was when a model didn't turn up for a shoot because he was having, he was out partying and we're all sitting there waiting for him. And then when he, he does turn up, no, he didn't turn up the first day, he turned up the second day. He'd obviously done drugs and couldn't stand still. And we were doing really long exposures. And, you know, I don't know why the guy was doing drugs and I don't know what was going on, but you learn to roll with that stuff. It's like, yeah, in the moment it's frustrating. And I think when I did, do that shit I was a lot younger and I was very angry at the way he was treating everybody but it you've got to be professional and, and I would say 99.9% of the time everybody's very professional in that environment and then you know maybe someone's having a bad day this is the other thing like with celebrities with actors you know with people that are having to perform having a bad day doesn't mean you can't be a bit shitty or people cry people get upset and that's you've got to accept that but as a crew we can't let them see that you know so if someone on a cruise having a bad day you send them home you can't bring that to work and um i've learned that you know i've learned that the hard way like i've got to make sure that i'm bringing positivity and whether i like the person in front of the camera or not it's really important to make them feel looked after. And then when you're doing a film, like where you're getting performances from people, it's even more heightened because they really are like, they're sometimes they're looking, they're going into their character to find an emotional response can be very complicated in very complicated situations where you're trying to kind of make it naturalistic. So I, and I mean, I haven't done as much of that as I've done of, of shooting celebrities or shooting uh, subjects, but it's a respect thing for the person in the moment. And I think on our side of the camera, and especially for me, like I've got to really, really bring 
the best part of myself. In fact, I, 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 did, I did this photo shoot with Ken Loach, who's an amazing director. He said that, you know, our job as directors is to be the most positive person on set. Now, I'm definitely not the most positive person on set, but I do think that that's a really good piece of advice. Like, you've got to be the best you can be. And, and, and he also said that everybody, that everybody else is there for you, which isn't completely true, but you, they are there to support you getting the best out of the situation of the person. And again, that's my way of working. Other people use tension as a way of getting great performances. I find, I find that harder. I don't like to manipulate people, but other, other people do. And again, I don't think you can say, well, that's not the right way of working. It really can work. My thing is always to try and make everybody feel positive. And that's something that is really important to me. It's really important that the difficult conversations are had and when you're trying to do difficult things. And, and, and again, I can't underline it more. It's like, for me, if someone's having a bad day, you've got to, you've got to really, really go roll with that. I think it's really, really important. Like, I, you know, and I've fired people from shoots because I've had to fire them. They just weren't giving me their A game and... I don't know why they won't give me their game. It doesn't mean they don't get paid for the shoot because they do, but I've had to bring someone in to replace someone in a certain department because you sometimes you have to do it. You've just got to be professional about it. And, you know, to your point, the reason why I like asking that question is because not everyone's your mate. And I, sometimes I walk into a workplace environment and I'm like, I like to be friendly with everyone, but not everyone is your mate. And I think it's really important to like learn yeah. that when you're going from, let's say, university straight into a work environment, you're not going to meet the people that you actually hung out with going to the student union. This is a very different environment. And I think that's important. But you're also, your point about positivity, mm. you have to get the best out of people. But how do you stay positive? How do you stay motivated and inspired so that you can be that person showing up? Mm. in that studio the way that you do yeah it's hard it's hard if I'm really honest it's hard I mean I'm an optimistic person and a lot of people would say if you asked them that would go really because I, I kind of you know I, I do I definitely hold the load I'm very much someone that holds on to things um, and tries to be analytical and critical but I do have this brilliant thing where I can go to bed at night, go to sleep and then wake up and be super positive. And um, that being able to brush something off. Like I had a really terrible, I gave a really terrible interview on Monday and it really sat with me for like a good 24 hours. But after 24 hours, I could brush it off. And I think that, that that's a tough, it's not even resilience because I think that word is so misused, but it's that kind of, being able to reset, you know, going back to the reset sort of thing and go, okay, well, you've got to take the bad and the good and then really, really look at yourself in the mirror about the bad and work out why you didn't do a good job. But at the same time, go, well, I'm not going to make a massive effort not to do it next time. And it's like I've also been in that situation where you haven't done your prep, you haven't put the work in. And you go, that was because I didn't put the work in. So now I always try and put the work in. But then even sometimes when you put the work in, you, you, you fuck it up. And that's life. I'm lucky that I can go to sleep. And also, I think it's really important to 
be bored, not be online all the time, read books, have hobbies, walk the dog, be, you know, like people go, oh, I'm not sleeping very well. I'm like, just do exercise and you'll sleep really well. Um, and I'm not even like particularly fitness a fanatic and not even very good at it. But I do know if I walk for two hours a day, I sleep really well. So instead of getting that car or getting the tube, you walk in. So like this morning I walked to work and I was on the phone the whole time talking and getting work done. But it means that tonight I'll probably sleep better and I won't rely on like having a glass of wine or I mean, I probably will rely on having a glass of wine, but but you know what I mean. <laughs> I don't tell you what you mean. And also to your point, like sometimes burnout can have such an issue or play such a part in how you show up. Exactly. It's really funny because we've just done a reviews in the office and my review was a lot of people said, I'm worried about how how he's dealing with burnout. And I never even thought I was dealing with burnout apart from me going, I'm really, really, really tired and I can't deal with certain things. And they vocalised what I'd not thought about. And I think that kind of getting that feedback and being quite open to that feedback and criticism is so important for creativity. And I don't just mean on the work, I mean on everything. And being able to take that critique is is really important. I'm definitely not the best. I'm I'm 100% not even the top. 80% of our company uh, getting feedback, but I do really, really want it and respect it. And one of the things that they said about me is that I'm really good at communicating on podcasts and in interviews, but I'm rubbish at it in real life. And I was like, damn, I've got to try harder. But it's just about trying harder and trying to be better. And I always think it's really, it's really important to kind of keep doing that. And I've got a real bit of a moral compass on that stuff of like, I want to be better. But sometimes also you're not going to, you know, you're just not going to see eye to eye with someone. I've got people in my life that whatever I do, I'll never ever be able to see eye to eye with them in their perspective on the world. And you've either got to accept that and just let it roll or you've got to confront it. And I would much rather accept it and go, okay, well, let's just agree to disagree. Mm. Well, I also, I think one of the things you talked about is self-awareness as well and being able to recognize that you're experiencing burnout. And the reason why I raised this with you is because I didn't realize I was experiencing burnout and somebody responded to it in a really bad way and didn't do what your team's doing, which, by the way, is brilliant. But, you know, the, the whole thing about somebody recognizing that in you, I think that's a really important trait to have. And then for you to have that level of self-awareness to go, I'm going to do something about it, going for a walk. I'm not going to get on the tube, I'm taking it from there. Yeah. I mean, sleeping is, I think, especially after COVID, I think one of the things that's really important for people is to get a really good rest. I, I really believe in sleep as, a, as an amazing way of resetting yourself and giving yourself energy and I, I just think it's obviously very like sounds really like simple and I sound a bit dumb by saying it but I really believe in that and I really think that it's important to get nourishment from different places what you consume both physically and mentally is really important for, if you want to be a creative you've got to be looking in different areas and if I don't do that like for example if I don't listen to news podcasts during the week I feel depleted, you know, in lots of areas. Or if I'm not 
reading a book a week, I feel like I've not done a good job. So uh, for myself, you know, so and I think that, that that's a really important aspect of any form of creativity. That's why I call the magazine Hunger, because I've always had that hunger for that. And really what I'm trying to do is, is satisfy my need to be replenished, because replenished is like what is the most healthy thing to be. And getting that balance right after COVID, that's hard. Yeah, and the other thing is human interaction. It's like I'm so involved in human interaction because I'm a photographer. So I'm seeing people in real life, like they're talking about AI. And I'm like, God, it means that we won't be in real life with people. And that emotional exchange is so important for people. You can't get that on a Zoom. You can't get that on a on a Google Hangout. You know, you can do a great interview maybe over one of these uh, apps now but I think because we're talking about something in depth but when you're actually trying to inter- interact with someone about something I don't know whether it's what the mo- what's going on emotionally I, f- I find that really hard like I used to love therapy in real life because it just feels more nourishing but I just think we definitely need that and that's one of the biggest problems so, so many people have split up you know post COVID and it's because but it probably wasn't that they weren't getting great interaction with the person they were with they weren't getting any other any other interaction with other people outside of that and i think that's a massive part of being a human being is being able to communicate so i've i'm a real big believer in replenishment of human interaction it's so important and you know i think we've all got this idealized view of like we could go and live in an island and i think i would probably drive myself crazy if It'll i take everyone be great, you. be great for a week and then i'd be like you know where's everyone i thought it's like like i'd find a basketball and give it a name and start photographing it oh my god i can see a whole movie being created right now with you doing that it's an important way to be replenished like sleep is underrated actually and people don't talk about that a lot and i think that's important to talk about therapy sleep human interaction analysis you know like I think they're all getting that balance and I've got people in my life like one of my directors Jordan he does all of that so well mm. and I'm almost like wonder what's wrong with you Jordan like you know where is there any have you got any weakness he just needs to get a really good balance and I, I and he's much younger than me and I totally like aspire to his level of balance but I try one thing I was going to ask you about is taking risks because we talked quite a lot about you being a photographer, but you are a founder of your own creative agency and you're working with massive brands right now. And did you ever feel like, geez, this is a massive risk. Should I take it? Should I not do it? Like mm. if somebody was to sidestep or try something new, question themselves, what's your advice that you'd give? I think you've got to have that personality that you feel comfortable with that. And I think, again, it's a lot to do with my background and having changed my school so often, I feel comfortable with it. So I've got a kind of loads of tools, equip, you know, I've got the equipment to be able to deal with it when it goes wrong. And I don't think it's about age. I don't think it's about uh, enthusiasm. I think it's more about being able to roll with the punches, you know, ask the right questions, get the right advice. And I think if it makes you uncomfortable, of course you should always try and do things that make you uncomfortable because 
you need to find where your boundaries are. But at the same time, it's not always going to go well. Like things don't go well. And I think that 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 can really knock people back. I think I'm very lucky that I've got a resilient nature to failures and rejection and all of those things that are complicated. It really still annoys me that I get those sort of that kind of feedback. But you do have to be able to go, like I said, go to get to sleep at night, not go to sleep at night, get to sleep at night. Because if you let it become too obsessive, it can be very, very bad for you. So, and I don't mean to make it sound negative because it's not like, it's like when it's successful, it's brilliant. Like we had a call this morning with a client and they were asking us to do something and I'm just like, that's going to be amazing. Now, a week ago, I didn't know that was coming in. And, you know, that's the brilliant thing about our jobs it's like suddenly you get this brief and it just turns everything from a negative into a positive and then everything else you do around that should be about being able to kind of not float through life because it's like being a duck isn't it you've got to like there's no floating you've got to be able to like be able to move through life where when the bad days are happening and they happen a lot you know when you're a creative you've got to be able to get through them and whether that's setting up a new business or taking a risk on something creative or you know whatever it is, whatever it is and whoever you're working with, you've got to have a little bit of a kind of sense of humor about it and a little bit of a humility is so important to being creative at setting up a business because, again, you know, I've got to listen to people tell me what's wrong with me as well as what's right with me. And How do you deal with that? I think it's hard and it's it's interesting like somebody was just interviewing me earlier today and and we, I was talking about going and doing a live performance, photography performance, and I've been talking about it for a while. And I keep putting it off because I'm not ready for it. I'm not ready to do it. I keep doing small practices of it, doing smaller versions of it to get myself prepared for it. It's like doing, you know, rehearsals, uh, but they're live rehearsals. I know that it's in within me to do it. And I know it would be a really great extension of what I do. But it scares the shit out of me. One, because people will be paying to see it. And the minute people pay, trust me, they really think they've got a massive opinion uh, and deserve it. And also because the length of time and what I'm doing is something, yes, I'm an industry expert within it, but I'm trying to push the boundaries of what a photographer or what I'm doing as a photographer. And I think that I'm going to get pushback on it and, to put yourself out in the world like that is really hard. It's not, it's like, you you know, you're out of your comfort zone. And I, as I said before, I think it's really important to do that. I'm more comfortable doing that than most people. And I still find it hard. You know, I probably won't do that live performance for about a year professionally because I know I'm not ready for it. And I know that I've got to do more work on it and I've got to prepare for it better and and then other things, you know, other things happen which are easier and you're like, oh, that's still going to push me, but it's going to be a bit easier. So I'll go for that. And I think it's kind of the, it's having that sense of what your capabilities are. Like another thing that my feedback, my review said was that, you know, having an ability to kind of of how much work to take on and being organized about that. And I'm very I find that very hard again. You know? So I'll say yes to 100 different things and then 
luckily have people within my team who then contextualize that with time and you know getting even doing this it's like you can't do that until you've got time to do it so when I do this I'm giving you 100% I'm not giving you 70% and that's a respect thing for you in this instance for whoever's watching this that it's not a a sort of 40% show you know it's a 100% so I think that I'm lucky, but I because I've constructed the way of doing that. But I still piss people off within the team who are like, you you just push too hard and you want too much and you put too much pressure even on yourself. And I think it's being able to really understand that. And if you are going to do something new, like you're trying something new in your life, and you you know you've got to be committed about it. And also, I tend to not. You know, I think in the past I would have jumped into things a bit more, whereas now I really consider them more. But you do learn more from doing things. And I, like, again, testing stuff out is really important. Like if you're going to do something, you should do some test runs. Like don't buy a car unless you test drive it. You know, don't don't buy a house unless you go and see it a, a lot. You know, and really unless you really walk in and go, this is amazing. Like so the construct around you is really important. So if you want to be an entrepreneur, you think it's within you, you think doing these new things is part of what you can do. You need to probably test it out a little bit. And also my other thing, again, it's casting. It's like making sure you're working with the right teams and getting the right people in place. And that's hard. That's probably the hardest thing. You know, your point about just trying something when you're ready is really important because when you go in, you go in, right? To your point, actually, putting this podcast together, it's a lot of work. (laughs) You don't just like record someone. And you're very diligent in that. And I think that that, you know, people will just think, well, what? how hard is it? You just, you know, get a dude on the other end of a call and chat about what is interesting. And it's not easy. It's like, and you're learning every time you do it, the tools of, be able to do it and it's not a natural thing like it's not it just is like interviewing people is hard like really serious respect so i remember the first time i did um you know something which was to camera where you're reading an auto cue and in tv they're so funny in tv because if you've never been in front of a camera either reading an auto cue or not reading an auto cue it's really hard to do and i walked away from that first instance going i've got so much respect for people that can do that now i've learned how to do an auto cue and i can do it now you know it's a skill it's not something you're just naturally born to do and and of course people do have natural uh, abilities but and it can be very something they love and they really enjoy and also i hate that thing of staying lane i'm like i really don't believe staying lane is the way to experience your life like i love it when people step outside their comfort zone and do stuff because i think you have a more rounded perspective from what the world is and how it works that I couldn't agree. In fact, you know what? I actually thought about that this morning. I woke up this morning going, so cool to try something different and just experience it. Because if I didn't do it, I wouldn't have known. And maybe I'm not going to be good at it. And that is okay. I tried. Yeah, you've got to jump in the water, but you need, you do need to learn how to swim. So if you've not learned how to swim, you know, you can't jump yeah. in the water anywhere in the world. And I mean, it's just about like there's a lot of common sense around it and again that's one of the things i find very interesting in especially in business like so much relies on process in business and then if generationally you've not learned 
to use your brain to work something out, it's much harder to work something out because you've not used that that muscle. You know, so if you're from a kind of, if you're a digital native, you're somebody that's never had to actually put an airfix kit together. It's much harder because then your kind of go-to is maybe Google or YouTube or TikTok because that's the kind of quick fix. And I think that's very unhealthy to not learn it, which is why about the photography, it's like, of course, if I was doing it now, I would probably do what everybody else does and just go for the quick fix. But actually not having that knowledge, whether it's, you know, being a presenter or being a producer or whatever it is, reading about it and understanding it, super, super useful because then you're not just relying on technical, I guess, a kind of a, a, a support system that it's not something that you understand or a safety net that you don't really know. And again, again, don't get me wrong. If I don't know how to fix my boiler, I was so proud of myself uh, four weeks ago when I fixed my boiler by looking at YouTube clips. But what was weird is I had to do that and then use my common sense to work out, oh, well, my boiler's a bit different because of this, this, and this. But I was very proud, A, that I knew where to go and look for them, watch them, get them, and then work it out. So it's that combination of the two things, I think, it's really important. I'm impressed that you managed to fix your boiler because that is something I have never figured out to do. But I was um, going to ask you about your three top tips for someone that might want to get into the field that you're in. And I think you've actually given one of those so you don't have to repeat. So what are the other two that you'd give? Um, I think the thing about being a photographer now is it's got so many other areas of reference that you can't just be a photographer, really, unless unless you're just going for that one specific thing where you're going to be a wildlife photographer and you're just going to go and learn that part of it. If you want to do something like I do, you really need to know what level you want to be within that because you could be a wedding photographer. And I think we're always going to need wedding photographers because people are always going to get married. You can't AI a wedding. I mean, I'm sure someone will, but you know, people need haircuts, but lots of people don't, aren't going into hairdressing at the moment because it's not a very exciting. They don't find it exciting. I find it really exciting. So I think you need to really categorize what you want to do. If you want to be a portrait photographer of celebrities, which isn't what I am, but let's make it simple. You do need to work out where those pictures are going to be used and how they're going to be used. And so you need to kind of really decide what, you want to be and it's much broader than you think it is um so probably assisting is a really good thing to do with photographers that you admire and respect and most photographers will accept a two-week work experience or three-week work experience so being able to get that time with someone and then the other thing about whatever genre or category of what you know what photography you want to do you do need to really understand that category. Like you have to like know how to get work within it and how to get work and make money and make a living and be able to sustain it. Because 
If you don't, then it's just a hobby. So I think, you know, that's a bit of a broader answer than two tips, because I think two tips are like how to be a better photographer. I always go, just take more photos. You know, the more photos they take, you take, the better a photographer you'll be, because it's literally a muscle, a visual muscle that you're teaching. And don't be afraid to analyze those photos and be critical of them, because you're going to be criticized, whatever, whatever you do. But I think if you're really a professional uh, so you want to be a professional photographer. You really need to know what type of professional photographer you want to be. I wouldn't never aspire to be me. I'm unfortunately I'm much broader than a photographer. Um, I think I, w- I wish I kind of sometimes wish I was just a photographer because I think my life would be easier. You're but many things. It would be boring. <laughs> I think I'd be bored of it. But but yeah, taking good pictures. Take pictures. Use your camera phone. Don't be scared. Experiment. Like, have fun, enjoy it. It's supposed to be fun. And if you're really basic at photography and you don't know how to do it, just copy other people at the, at the start, like trying to emulate the work you like with your mates because you'll learn the technique of it. And also the other last thing I'd say is you, you've got to love light. Like, if you if you want to be a photographer, you have to really love light. It's one of that sounds a bit like a, a kind of cult. You have to be in the cult of light, but... You've got to really love light. I love those top tips. You know, one of the things I often think about is underrepresented communities. As a maker, you've got a creative agency as well as being a photographer. What communities do you really wish you could welcome into the field of work that you're in? Oh, that's a really good question. I think that for me anyway, I've always tried to welcome in it all communities. So I think that's something I've done right from the beginning. And I think if anything, in the last few years, if anything, we've formalized that more. But I think it's being open-minded. I think that one of the worst things about working in a media bubble in London is that, you know, it's hard to infiltrate it. It's not easy to get onto the circuit of how to get work and I think we've definitely become better as a an industry at representing lots of different types of people in front of the camera whereas behind the camera you have to be much more formal about it although I feel like I have been pretty good at it I still think I could be better I think everybody could be better and in terms of different communities I think it's I think it's we're at a really great moment in time where if you've got a point of view, people have got more time for it because the definitely the kind of the playing field of what's important has been definitely leveled to some extent, which is has been good and bad in in in, in, in probably even ways, but it does mean that if you have a point of view that's slightly different, I think there's more interest in it and there's more potential to get it seen like and I've actually been criticized for saying that in the past um because some people think that that's you've got to be able to break into the to the industry or break into the media in certain ways but I still think that it's better than it's ever been so it can only get better but um I do think for me or for anyone out there that's looking to do stuff like that, just be active in it. Like I try to be as active in that as I can. And then when I meet people, maybe from a community that's unexpected, 
trying to give them a platform or platform them or getting them work. And I met, I, I met this group of photographers called UK Black Female Photographers Group. And they're like a Facebook, they're a community group. And I just started thinking about brands they could work with. And I haven't been able to sell them as an idea. But to me, that would be so easy. A, they're, you know, female. So their whole approach has got a spin on it. And they're UK black female photographers. And it's like that as a whole conceit has a perspective on it. And I, I think they're all, all completely different, obviously. But that approach to it, if you're talking about something like beauty or fashion, it's got a has a meaning to it and a perspective on it that's going to be very different. And, you know, like, or for example, I was asked to do something with an autistic charity recently, and it came from me working with one of my team who's autistic. So they said, well, you do these photos. And I, well, don't get me to do the photos, get her to do the photographs because they're going to be, and I can, I can help kind of mentor them through the process of doing them and I think that that idea of platforming and helping people is super important and also the other thing is embrace different voices because honestly the best work comes from different voices it doesn't come from a very kind of uh, blinkered perspective uh, whether that's age race whether you know it's what their social um, status is, you know whatever societal upbringing, whatever it is, it's like you need those different voices at the table because they make it better. They make the work better, and also you know what you don't know everything. A lot of creatives, especially in the back in the day, a lot of creatives had this idea that they had this kind of superpower, and the superpower is actually how you get the best out of people, not what you are good at like I mean we all we've all got our egos and we all want to feel good about ourselves I'm always kind of interested in what the other person's perspective is and it is interesting because sometimes people come here and go well you're not as interested in in you know maybe my perspective and I'm like yeah because we've got a job to do at the same time so sometimes when you get too down in the weeds you don't get it, it can it can be counterintuitive to something executional sometimes you've got to get shit out the door and um you can't analyze things for keep going on and on and on and on and because i come from an editorial background you know commission get brief commission uh, go out and do it deliver is very much a part of my background your point about you know hearing different perspectives is a really important one first of all but also getting things and shipped is important to you got to run a business but also having those perspectives across the board is important because when you're making you're making it for someone and to your yeah. point about beauty and fashion you won't resonate with that unless you feel seen and the world is colorful you know one of the things I always say like with people when we're making something creatively I do say you can't just think about the subjects you've also got to think about the audience so you know, you're also talking to the audience who might not understand it and might have a kind of view on it that actually if you're trying to break that view down, you need to kind of see it from that perspective as well. I think it's really important to have a devil's advocate in the room on everything, you know, an emperor's new clothes, you know, type person who says, really? Because then if you make something 
doesn't matter if it's commercial or non-commercial. If you make it and you haven't done that, then you can make things that are so stereotypical and have got no nuance or understanding. And I think the best work has all of that in it. And like, I've got a big thing with anonymity. I think it's really scary that we can anonymously be critical. I find that very dangerous um, and find it very complex because, you know, that's the mob mentality of, well, you know, no one will know that it's me and therefore there's no responsibility. And I think with anything that we make, there is a responsibility. If you want to be really serious about making stuff, you've got to be responsible for, your, for your, you know, I've got a really good saying, you've got to be responsible for yourself, you've got to be responsible for the subject, and you've got to be responsible for the audience. And I learned that from a photographer when I went to see a, a talk in, you know, about, about sort of 10, 12 years ago. And I was like, that sums up what I, my approach to making the work. If you had to summarize your success in three words, what would those be? Lucky, obsessive, and analytical. Ah, like those three words. I thought you were going to say reinvention. No, no, I'm lucky and I'm obsessive. I'm very obsessive and I'm very, and I think the reinvention comes from, I am analytical because I reinvent. Yeah. Like I definitely reinvent, but that comes from really looking at you know who I am what I am where I'm coming from checking myself trying to be a better person be a better human be a better everything and it's like and I fail miserably in so many areas so I definitely don't hold myself up as like some sort of perfect thing and I hate I hate chocolate box got hallmark things like you know like comments or like you know, get up and go, or, you know, any of these things that I, I always find it really hard, sort of, I guess it, for me, it's kind of like amateur uh, therapy or amateur positivity, or I find that really, sometimes I see stuff and I get so annoyed, like, today you can be the best person you are if you believe who you are, like, yeah, maybe, maybe you can, but maybe you're a human being and you're really much more complex than that, you can be a good person and a bad person at the same moment. And how do you balance that? And how do you try and improve? And I just think we're much more complex than black and white. And I find it very hard when people try to dilute it down to like a, a phrases, but yeah. that's why I like the responsibility because it's a question, you know, cause it's, you have to ask yourself, are you being responsible to you, to the subject and to the audience? And that's a big question. I just want to say thank you so much for your time because you have definitely passed on some amazing insights that someone else is going to listen to and go, I've learned something, I'm going to do that and I'm going to care about responsibility and analysing myself and have a level of self-awareness. So thank you for all this time that you spent with me. Oh, thank you. No, I really appreciate it. Good to see you and good luck with it. Hello, thank you for listening to Behind the Face of Success. I hope you've enjoyed it just as much as I have. If possible, please can I ask you to rate, review and subscribe to these podcasts as it actually helps more people find them and look out for the next episode next week.